What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This episode is brought to you by the Worth Your Time podcast, where your host, that's me, Erica Anderson, brings you unique and interesting conversations with Christian women working in the intersection of faith, politics, and culture. See you there. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revived Thoughts. Love all men, even your enemies, not because they are your brothers, but that they would become your brothers, that you may be at all times on fire with brotherly love. Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today's message was preached by St. Augustine. It was delivered in the year 416 AD in a town called Hippo, which is in modern-day Algeria. Joel, St. Augustine, uh, which some call him Augustine. I apologize if my calling Augustine, him... Augustine, Augustine. If my calling him St. Augustine bothers you. I, I grew, grew up calling him Augustine. Yeah, I grew up right next to St. Augustine, so it just it sticks in my head that way, but I have heard people just... Shock and all. This is what it's going to sound like today. Um, all right. It's actually a little surprising in my mind that it actually took us this long to get a sermon of his on the show. Uh, the church fathers are a little bit harder to get done just right. And this one feels like it's a little overdue. But if you do listen to our show, Revive Devos, which puts out every day a two to three minute devotional clip, then you're already used to hearing a little bit of St. Augustine because he is one of the seven speakers that we have been featuring on that show. Yeah, St. Augustine, I love how well-documented his life is for how old he is. Again, we're, we're talking 300 AD era, but we have a pretty good idea of what his life is like. He was born in the year 354 AD in the north part of Africa, again, what is now Algeria, that, that kind of part of the continent. His mother was named Monica, and she was a devout believer and she prayed daily that St. Augustine would serve the Lord and walk with the Lord. His father was not a believer, although it does seem like he may have had a deathbed confession towards the end of his life, a profession of faith at that point. But for the majority of his life, his his parents were kind of opposites in that front. His mother was a believer, his father was not even though his family was in Africa at the time, his family had paid for Roman citizenship. So their family had been a part of the Roman Empire for probably over 100 years at this point. Around the age of 11, Augustine is sent to school. And here he learns uh, Latin and pagan beliefs kind of mixed together with some Christian beliefs. And in his... Uh, story, his autobiography, where we learn most of his life, although he did have chroniclers as well. Uh, It's from Confessions by St. Augustine. And he talks later how everyone wanted their kid to be this great orator, or they wanted, you know, someone who gives speeches or lawyers or whatever. And they loved it when they did did these speeches and plays that they were part of, but they weren't always Christian speeches and plays. So it was weird for him because, I mean, imagine, oh, you know, Christian parents wanting their kids to grow up doing plays that are Hindu or Greek or something. It does feel a little weird. And he thought it was kind of strange that like, oh, we believe strongly in this, but we'll look the other way as long as our kid is on the stage kind of a thing. He also mentioned how he just loved to run and play games. He just didn't really enjoy school, even though he seemed to be pretty good at it. There's this story of him stealing fruit with some kids and they just, they go into this orchard, they steal some fruit. And then on the way home, they just throw it away. They didn't actually want to eat it. They weren't hungry The fun of it was just to do something bad. And he said this was the first time in his life at 11 that he really felt aware of the power of sin, just the idea of I can do something bad, and even though I know that it's bad, it just feels good. It's such a small story, stealing fruit. I'm sure as kids, we have all done something at least as bad, and yet 
it really affected him because he was just blown away that he was drawn to something almost so petty. Yeah, I always find it interesting with these these pastors that we look up to now to see some some of them are you can see them walking with God and they're prodigies and they're they're just soaking in, you know, all of these biblical studies and regurgitating it. But some of them go through rebellious phases. Some of them wrestle with their faith and with, with who they are as a person. We definitely see that in St. Augustine. And I find it really interesting to see that, like, he was, he was a pretty rebellious kid. He wasn't always the person that we've come to know, know him as. At age 17, he goes to school and he's helped by some generous people that, that help pay to get him into this school. And I don't know, I feel like a, a lot of, this is something people can still relate to, but a lot of sexual peer pressure in kind of a high school, I feel like that's kind of a thing where people brag about their sexual exploits. And that was something his group of friends did. He fell into that mindset and he got a girl pregnant and he stays in a relationship with this girl for a long time, like 15 years, but they never get married. But he does watch over this uh, child of his. He names his son, uh, what is translated in English, gift of God, you know, whatever that is in Greek. I'm not sure. I don't speak Greek very well or at all, really. <laughs> his next chapter of life, though, all does kind of like is really dated as far as it really opens your eyes to like this is a different era that this guy was living in in the year 385 he does end up ending that relationship with that younger relationship that he had that he had that son with but it was to get engaged to an heiress and at this time this heiress was 10 years old and the legal age to marry was 12 but by the time this heiress came of age so two years later to marry St. Augustine had a change of heart and bailed out of that commitment, out of that engagement. And you can tell it, it was a confusing time for him. He ends up eventually going away into the priesthood. So Augustine will go to Carthage to start a school, to be an orator. Again, they have these big schools that give speeches. It's a very different way of doing schooling. Uh, but he has trouble getting paid. There's this anecdote, basically, where in Carthage, the respectable way to get paid was you would teach the kids the whole year, and then on the last day of school, they would pay you. And the to give you an idea just how much society was kind of in decline, because we're kind of moving into the end of the Roman Empire, no one showed up on the last day to pay him, and that happened to him two semesters kind of back to back where very few people were paying for their schooling. And he's like, I'm not making money. I can't do this. I got to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to Rome where there's a little bit higher class people where we still have a little bit more sophistication, right? Uh, during this time, he gets caught up a bit with Manichaeism. Manichaeism. Uh, this idea that, and this is this kind of idea that came out during this period, the idea, he believed in it for a while, that there's this cosmic struggle between good and evil and that they're almost equal sides. And, and it took a bunch of the pagan beliefs of the empire, it sprinkled some Christianity in there, but a lot of non-Christian beliefs too, kind of smushes it together. And there you go, there you have it. And he believed in that for a long time. And it wasn't until he met a bishop, one of the really higher ups, he was excited to meet him. And you can see in this story how he kind of goes around searching a lot through his life. And he meets this bishop and he's excited to meet him. But after talking with him and spending a little time with him, he kind of walks away. He goes, yeah, no, you know what? If that's kind of the top of the line of these guys, I'm not really convinced that this is a good way to be. You know, he didn't have the answers. He wasn't as uh, skilled. There wasn't that truth hidden behind the layers that he was expecting to be there. So he really then starts to become this kind of skeptical guy. Um, this also coinc coincided right around the time that the Manichean monks were declared to be uh, executed in the empire. So, you know what? We decided you're a heresy. If you are a Manichean monk, you're going to be executed. Good timing for him to step out of that. So, you know, Augustine knew a lot about religions and knew a lot about faith. He was a powerful speaker. People wanted to hear from him. They loved learning from him, but he wasn't really going down that Christian road just yet. One thing that will deeply influence him and will help him kind of get going in the right way will be, he'll come to faith a little bit before this, but the guy who will kind of finally get him set straight is Ambrose or Ambrosi uh, in 391. Yeah. I, again, I know I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I love how we can look at his life and just see how lost he is. He's he's constantly trying to find contentment and satisfaction in, in everything, in women or in speculation or religious beliefs. And he's he's got his hands out and he's trying to grasp onto something that is where he can anchor his identity. Yeah. He's and, clearly an intelligent guy and he right. keeps thinking, oh, I found the answer. And then he, he goes a little deeper and he goes, that's not, that actually isn't the answer. Right, right. So Ambrose was, he was a great speaker, and he was kind of older and more experienced. Augustine went to learn from the older bishop and felt that the man took him in kind of like a spiritual son after his own father passed away. His mom had always 
wanted and prayed for him to become a Christian, but it was Ambrose, he felt that actually helped him pursue Christianity, not because he was teaching him truth, although he was, but because he was such a good friend and a mentor, and that kind of drew him into the church. His mother moved to the, the city that he was in, to Milan, to pray and to push him towards the church. I also love how supporting the mother is throughout this whole thing. Like you can yeah. tell every step of the way that mother is just praying and really like that's that's what consumes her is asking God to, to lead her son down that right path. I if I, I think you can definitely say and, and to some degree, as much as this is, you know, could even be possible that that mother prayed him in. I mean, like she just <laughs> was nonstop. Her right. goal in life was to see her son and her, her husband as well come to Christ. As Augustine came to the faith, came to develop a love for Jesus and the walk with Christ, his mother would uh, encourage him to end that relationship with his previous lover. This is that one that he got pregnant, that they met back when they were 17, uh, and they had been in this relationship for several years. His mother is saying, you need to end that relationship with her. And so he he did, but it was really rough on him, and he had a, a real hard time it was a bad breakup, I guess you could say, you know, and uh, he kind of had a, the way I look at it is kind of he kind of had a rebound mistress yes. where it didn't last long. He was trying to fill that that void and that sorrow with another woman. But that relationship as well also didn't last very long. He, he understood what was happening. He understood that this would not repair the the aching he felt in his heart. There's this line that he references looking back at his point in life. He says, Lord, grant me contentment and chastity, but not yet. Still <laughs> still holding on to a little bit of that selfishness, still holding on to uh, a little bit of himself in that, and not, not quite fully surrendered just yet. I love that line because I think I think everybody who's struggling with sin can kind of yeah. understand that whatever the sin is, there's that tiny part of you like, I'm ready to be done with the sin. I feel the consequences of it. I know it's not good enough. But I, a tiny, just a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> it was during this time that a friend suggested that he pursue wisdom and Christ-likeness over marriage, over that relationship. And so he kind of, that was good advice for him. Despite all of the mar- marital problems, despite all of the relationship drama, St. Augustine really enjoyed this time, and he would look back on it fondly. Yeah, so he then will break off that relationship, that, or the uh, the promise to marry the young heiress. His his mother had set that up, thought it would be a great way for him to move into an upper class, uh, to clarify to just to make sure this was not a uh, a love-lust relationship like we would do marriage. He was marrying her for the family and all that kind of stuff, and that's a thing that we just don't do 1,700 years later. It's hard to understand why somebody would, and, and he didn't. He just was like, yeah, this is not for me. I'm, not, I'm just going to pursue and move away from this whole direction. He becomes a bishop in 391. Uh, he would write his famous work, that Confessions that we talked about, in around 397. Um, and then in 410, a tribe called the Visigoths sack Rome. They, they, you know, and that's sacking the capital of the empire. Imagine if you live in the United States of America, it's Washington, D.C. If you live in China, that's Beijing. It's a big deal, right? And uh, so he'll write this book at the time called The City of God, trying to comfort people and make them realize, look, yeah, that was an important city, but but God's city is not contained in physical buildings. There's something more we can work towards. He was always trying to encourage his people to come to Christ, renounce that paganism they would, they would hang on to. Uh, he really had a heart and a love for his people, it was famous and well-known. I think you can almost see it best at the end of this story here. Um, in 430, another Germanic tribe comes down to North Africa. They're planning to destroy the city of Hippo, where he is. And he prayed endlessly uh, that that wouldn't happen. He was very sick at the time. And so he asked that David's psalms be hung up around his room. He felt that he was nearing the end of his life. And the thing that he most wanted to get right in these final days was repenting and being penitent. Um, and he just got into that. He saw David as this guy who had lived a bit of a sexually licentious life and had to come to God asking for a clean heart. And you could see how Augustine could feel kind of a, a kinship with someone like that. And so even though he's an old man, he was ill, he was just praying all the time for God to forgive him for how he had lived and praying for this army that was approaching. There is a miracle attributed to him during this time. Supposedly during the siege, there was a man who was very ill and St. Augustine healed him. In this case, I don't put much much weight on it. It happened at the very end of his life. He had never done anything like this before. It wasn't really a part of who he was, not a part of his story. And the guy who wrote this happened, huge fan of his, loved him, 
really wanted to make sure he went into the annals of history. It's it, it just is kind of an odd vibe. You you know the city is sacked, so it's really not going to be easy to get witnesses to verify it. I won't say with 100% certainty that it didn't. The Lord can move and do what he chooses, but I kind of think this was a miracle that maybe was attributed to him a little bit after the fact to kind of give him yeah. a little bit more of a, a legend apocryphal status. maybe. Yeah, maybe a little bit more. He was a great guy, but let's just add one more story in to really get him out there, you know, make sure he gets that saint status. Um, but what I did think was interesting, and this isn't apocryphal, and what I think really shows that love I was talking about earlier, when he died... The Germanic tribe, the Vandals that came down, they, they would actually leave Hippo. So his prayers were answered, but kind of only for a minute because then they came back um, and they do destroy the city. But they, they burned it to the ground. They were not going to have it with the city, except they left the cathedral that Augustine had run and preached at and his, his actual personal library. They didn't burn those. They're like, we're going to burn everything else. But everything that had to do with Augustine, we're going to let stand because we respected him too and his holiness and his his uh, integrity and stuff had just been so well known that even people who were, you know, your enemies were like, well, we respect that guy. He's he's different. St. Augustine's work and writings would become immensely influential throughout the ages, especially with the reformers once they came along as well. In this sermon, we see him working and walking through 1 John. He discusses the love of God. He discusses the fulfilling of the commandments and the necessity of unity in the church, especially the head that is Christ. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him, that begot him, loves him also that is begotten of him. By this we may know that we love the children of God, because we love God and do his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. First, I suppose you remember, those of you who were present yesterday, where in the epistle our exposition ended. Namely, if he doesn't love his brother who he sees, how can he love his brother who he doesn't see? In this command we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. 1 John 4, 20-21 So far we have discussed all this. Let's see what comes next. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 1 John 5, 1 Who is he that doesn't believe Jesus is the Christ? He that does not live as Christ commanded. For many say, I believe, but faith without works can't save. Now the work of faith is love, as Paul the Apostle says, and faith which works by love. Galatians 5, 6. Your past works, indeed, before you believed were either none, or if they seemed good, were nothing worth noting. But if they were none, you were as a man without feet, or with sore feet, and you were unable to walk. But if they seemed good, before you believed, you ran indeed, but by running astray from the way, you went the wrong way instead of coming to the goal. This is for us, then, both to run and to run in the right way. He that runs apart from the way of God runs to no purpose and toils in vain. The more he runs on his own, the further astray he runs. What is the way in which you run? Christ has told us, I am the way. John fourteen six. To what do we run? I am the truth. By him you run, to him you run, and then in him you rest. But so that we might run to him, he reached out for us. For we were far off, foreigners in a faraway country. It is not enough to say that we were in a far off country. We were weak and asleep so that we could not stir ourselves. But as a physician, he came to the sick, as the way he extended himself to those who were in a far-off country. Let us be saved by him. Let us walk in him. This is what it is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, as Christians believe. Those who are not Christians only by name, but in deed and in life. Not as the devils believe, for the devils also believe and tremble. James 2.19, as the scripture tells us. What more could the devils believe than that they should say, We know who you are, the Son of God. What the devil said is the same as Peter said. 
when the Lord asked him who he was, and whom did men say that he was? The disciples answered him, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew sixteen thirteen through 18 And this he heard from the Lord, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. See what praise follows this faith? You are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. What does it mean, upon this rock I'll build my church? Upon this faith, upon this that has been said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, he says, I will build my church. Mighty praise. So then Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But the devils also say, we know who you are, the son of God, the holy one of God. The words are the same, but the mind is not the same. And how is it clear that Peter said this with love? Because a Christian's faith is with love, but a devil is without love. How is he without love? Peter said this, that he might embrace Christ into his heart. The devil said it so that Christ might then depart from them. For before they said, we know who you are, the son of God. They said, what have we to do with you? Why have you come to destroy us before the time? It is one thing then to confess Christ that you may hold Christ and another thing to confess Christ that you may drive him from you. So then you see that in the sense in which we say, whoever believes, it is a faith of one's own, not as one has a faith in common with many. Therefore, brothers, let none of the heretics say to you, we also believe. For to this end, I have given you an instance from the case of the devils, that you may not rejoice in the words of believing, but search well the deeds of your life. Second, let's see that what it means to believe in Christ. He proceeds, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. But what is it to believe that? And everyone that loves him that begot him loves him also that is begotten of him. To faith, he has joined love because faith without love is nothing of value. With love, we see the faith of a Christian. Without love, we see the faith of a devil. But those who don't believe are worse than devils. Some men will not believe in Christ, and so far he is not even on par with devils. A person does now believe in Christ, but hates Christ. He has the confession of faith in the fear of punishment, not in love of the crown. Just that the devil also feared to be punished. And to this faith, love, so that it may become a faith such as the apostle Paul speaks of, a faith which works by love. In Galatians 5, 6, you found a Christian, found a citizen of Jerusalem, found a fellow citizen of the angels, found a pilgrim sighing in the way. Come alongside him. He is your fellow traveler. Run with him, if indeed you are this way. Everyone that loves him that begot him, loves him also that is begotten of him. Who begot? The Father. Who is begotten? The Son. What is he saying then? Everyone that loves the Father loves the Son. Third, in this we know that we love the Son of God. 1 John 4.2 What is this, brethren? Just now he was speaking of the Son of God, not the sons of God. Wait, here one Christ was set before us to contemplate, and we were told, Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loves him that begot, meaning the Father, loves him also that is begotten of him, meaning the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he goes on, In this we know that we love the sons of God, as if he had been about to say, In this we know that we love the Son of God. He has said, The sons of God, whereas he was speaking just before of the Son of God. Why? Because the sons of God are the body of the only Son of God. He is the head, we are the members, and it is one Son of God. 
Therefore, he that loves the sons of God loves the Son of God, and he that loves the Son of God loves the Father. And no one can love the Father except by loving the Son. And he that loves the sons loves also the Son of God. What sons of God? The members of the Son of God. And by loving, he becomes himself a member and comes through love to be in the frame of the body of Christ. So there will be one Christ loving himself. And when the members love one another, the body loves itself. And when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 1 Corinthians 12, 26-27 And then he goes on to say, Now you are the body of Christ, the members of it. John was speaking just before of brotherly love. And he said, He that doesn't love the brother whom he sees, how can he love God who he doesn't see? How should that be? When therefore you love members of Christ, you love Christ. When you love Christ, you love the Son of God. And when you love the Son of God, you love also the Father. The love therefore can't be separated into parts. Choose what you will love and the rest will follow. Suppose you say, I love God alone. Just God the Father. You are lying. If you love, you can't love him alone. But if you really love the Father, you love also the Son. Oh, but you say, I love the Father and I love the Son, but just these, the Father God and the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. He who ascended into heaven sits at the right hand of God the Father. That word by which all things were made, the word was made flesh and dwells in us. Yes, I love these, but only them. You are lying. For if you love the head, you must love also the members. But if you can't love the members, then you do not love the head. Do you not shake at the voice uttered by the head from heaven on behalf of his members? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Acts 9, 4. The persecutor of the members he called his persecutors, his lover, those who love his members. Now we are his members, but you know, brethren, they are none other than the church of God. In this we know that we love the sons of God. And how? Are not the sons of God one thing, and God himself another? But he that loves God loves his precepts. And what are the precepts of God? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. John thirteen thirty four. Let no one excuse himself by another love. Or for another love, the fire melted all together into one. It is gold. The lump is molten and becomes one thing, that we love God. By this we know that we love the sons of God. Fourth, and by what do we know that we love the sons of God? By this, that we love God and do his commandments. We sigh here because of the hardness of doing the commandments of God. Hear what I'm about to say. Oh man, you work so hard at toiling when it comes to money and in loving sin. With toil and labor, you have loved the things you should not have loved. But there is no toil in loving God. Sin will creep into your labors, perils, sore hardship, tribulations, and sin will have you do its bidding. And to what end? So that you may have that which fills your chest and causes you to lose your peace of mind. You felt yourself happy and more secure before you had these things sin gave you. See what covetousness has given you? You filled your house and now are in dread of robbers. You got gold but lost your sleep. See what covetousness has given you? It told you to do and you did. What does God tell you to do? To love me. You love gold and you will seek gold. Yet you maybe never find it. But whoever seeks me, I am with him, God says. You will love honor and maybe never attain it. But whoever loved me and did not attain. God says to you, if you would need an advocate or a powerful friend, then why do you seek a way to his favor by means of someone inferior? Love me, God says to you. Favor with me is not had by making companionship with some other. 
Your love itself makes you present with me. What is sweeter than that, brothers? It is not without reason that you heard just now in the Psalms, the unrighteous told me of the delights, but not as is according to your law, O Lord. What is the law of God? The commandment of God. What is the commandment of God? That new commandment, which is called new because it makes new. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. John thirteen thirty four. Here, because this is the law of God. The apostle says, bear you one another's burdens so that you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2. This is the consummation of all our works. Love. In it is the end. It is for this we run. It is to love we run. When we have come to it, we'll rest. Listen well. Some men seek money, but don't let it be the end of you. Pass on as a traveler in a strange land. But if you love it, you are entangled by covetousness, and covetousness will be shackles to your feet. You will make no more progress. Pass therefore past this and seek the end of it all. You seek the health of your body, but don't stop there. For what is it? This health of the body, which death will bring an end to. And what is the health of the body when sickness debilitates a feeble, mortal, fleeting thing? Seek it, sure, so that ill health doesn't hinder your good works. But for that very reason, the end is not there, for it is sought in order to seek something else. So the purpose of it is not it. Whatever is loved for its own sake and freely, the end is found there. You seek honor, maybe because you seek them in order to do something good, so that you may accomplish something there and please God. But don't love the honor itself so that you may stop there. Do you seek praise? If you seek God's, you do well. If you seek your own, you do poorly. You stop short in the way. But behold, you're loved and are praised. Do not find joy when in yourself you're praised. Instead, be praised in the Lord that you may sing. In the Lord will my soul be praised. You deliver some good sermon or speech and your discourse is praised. Let it not be praised as yours, for the end is not there. If you set the end there, then it is an end for you. But an end, not that you are perfected, but that you are consumed and destroyed. Then don't let your speech be praised as coming from you, and as being yours. But how should it be praised? As the psalm says, In God will I praise the speech. In God I will praise the word. So to yourself, in God I have hoped. I will not fear what man can do for me. For when all things that are yours are praised in God, do not fear in case your praise be lost, since God never fails. Go past this way also. See, brothers, how many things we pass by, which is not the purpose of life. These are used on the way. We take them just as refreshments to enjoy on our journey and pass on. Where then is the purpose? Beloved, we are the sons of God, and it has not yet appeared what will be. We know that when he will appear, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. That is the end. Their perpetual praising, their alleluia, always without fail. This is the end he has spoken of in the psalm. I have seen the end of all perfection. And as if it were said to him, what is the end you have seen? This is the end, the fullness of the command. The fullness of the command is charity because where charity is, there is no fault. In this fullness, this wide path was the apostle when he said, our mouth is open to you, O Corinthians, our heart is enlarged. This is not following in us. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 12. In this then is your command that is exceedingly broad. What is the broad command? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Charity then is not at fault. Won't you be corrected while you live on earth? Dwell in the path of charity, for whatever man may do to you, he can't correct you.
because you love that which man cannot hurt. Love God. Love the brotherhood. Love the law of God. Love the church of God. It will be forever. You labor here on earth, but you will come to the promised enjoyment. Who can take from you that which you love? If no man can take from you that which you love, you will sleep securely. Or maybe I should say keep watch with confidence, in case by sleeping you may lose that which you love. It is said, enlighten my eyes, in case at any time I sleep in death. They that shut their eyes against charity fall asleep in the lust of worldly delight. So be alert, for there are delights to eat, to drink, to give yourself over to luxury, to play, to hunt. These vain acts allow all kinds of evil to flow. Are we so ignorant that they are delights? Who can deny that they delight us? But more beloved is the law of God. Cry against these persuasions. The unrighteous have told me of their delights, but none compare to your law, O Lord. These delights remain, not only remain as the goal, but also call you back when you run. For this is the law of God, that we keep his commandments. 1 John 4.3 Already have you heard, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. See how he would not have you go lose your mind reading thousands of pages? On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On what two commandments? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22 37 through 40. See here the entirety of all the commandments that this whole gospel speaks of. So hold fast to love and set your mind at rest. Why do you fear that you would do evil to some man? Who does evil to the man that he loves? It is impossible to love others without doing good. But it may be out of love, you say. Kindness does it, not fierceness. But it may be, you argue. For discipline you will have to do this, for your love will not let you leave him undisciplined. And indeed, there seems to be different and contrary results. That sometimes hatred uses winning methods, and charity comes across mean. For example, a person hates his enemy and fakes a friendship with him. He sees him doing evil, so he praises him. He wishes him to go headlong, wishes him to go blind over the cliff of his lusts happy to never see him again. So he praises him. For the sinner is praised for the desires of his soul. See, even though he hates him, he still praises him. Another person sees his friend doing something similar, and he calls him back. If he won't listen, he uses words even of rebuke and reproof. He scolds him, and he quarrels. There are times when it comes to this, that one must even fight. See here, hatred shows itself gentle, and charity here shows itself as fighting. Don't count one's love on the words of seeming kindness, or the seeming harshness of the rebuke. Look into the reason for the words. Look for the root from which they proceed. The first one is pretending to be gentle and bland that he would deceive, and the second fights that he may correct. Then it is not for us, brothers, to enlarge your heart. Get from God the gift of love, one another. Love all men, even your enemies, not because they are your brothers, but that they would become your brothers, that you may be at all times on fire with brotherly love, whether towards him that has become your brother or towards your enemy, that by being honored he may become your brother. Wherever you love a brother, you love a friend. Now he is with you, and knit to you in unity. If you are living right, you love a brother who was once an enemy, but you also love some man who is not yet a believer. If he has believed, he believes as devils do. You rebuke his vanity. Love, and that with a brotherly love. He is not yet a brother, but you love him to the end that he might become a brother. Well then, 
All our love is a brotherly love towards Christians, towards all his members. The discipline of charity, my brothers, its strength, flowers, fruit, beauty, pleasantness, food, drink, meat, embracing, has in it no fullness. If it is so delights us while in a strange land of the world, in our own country, in heaven, how much more will we celebrate? Let us run then, my brothers, let us run and love Christ. What Christ? Jesus Christ. Who is he? The word of God. And how did he come to this sick? The word was made flesh and dwelt in us. John 1, 14. It is complete then what the scripture foretold. Christ must suffer and rise again the third day from the dead. Luke 24, 46. So where is his body? His members, where are they? And where must you be that you may be under your head? And that repentance and forgiveness of sins can be preached in his name through all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Luke 24, 47. You must let your charity and love be spread everywhere. So if you will love Christ, extend your charity over all the earth. For Christ's members are over all the earth. If you love just a part of the body of Christ, you will be divided. And if you are divided, you are not in the body. If you are not in the body, then you are not under the head. How does it profit you to believe and blaspheme? You adore him in the head but then blaspheme him in the body. He loves his body. If you have cut yourself off from the body, the head has not cut itself off from the body. It's for no purpose that you honor me, cries the head to you from on high. To no purpose do you honor me. It is all one to him as if a man would kiss your head and then smash your foot. And if this madman did crush your foot, when he also kisses you on the head, wouldn't you cry out in the midst of the words which he honors you? Wouldn't you look at him and say, What are you doing, man? Why have you smashed my foot? You wouldn't say, You hit me on the head, since he honored your head. But wouldn't the head cry out on behalf of the foot that you smashed and feel more pain for it than happy that you kissed the head? Wouldn't the head itself cry out, I will have none of your honor while you smash my foot. But he will say, how have I hurt you? Try to say that to the head. I want to kiss you. I just want to embrace you. But don't you see, O fool, that what you want to embrace is connected to that which you're trying to smash. Above, you honor me. Beneath, you walk on me. The person on which you walk brings me more pain than that honor which brings me joy. How does the tongue of God cry out? That it hurts me. People don't usually say, it hurts my foot, but it hurts me. O tongue of God, who has touched you? Who has hit you? Who has bothered the tongue in all of this? No one. But since I'm knit together, then the tongue will cry out for the parts that are in pain. Our Lord Jesus Christ, while ascending into heaven on the 40th day, gave to us his body because he saw that many people would honor him because he ascended into heaven. And he saw that their honoring him is useless if they trample upon his members here on earth. So to keep anyone from error and to have them believe that they can adore the head of heaven and yet trample upon the feet on earth, he told us where his members would be. About ready to ascend, he spoke his last words on earth. And after these words, he spoke no more on earth. The head was about to ascend into heaven, and he commended to us his members on earth, and then departed. From then on, you don't find Christ speaking on earth. You find him speaking, but from heaven. And even from heaven, why? Because his members on earth were under attack. He spoke to the persecutor Saul, and from heaven he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Acts 9, 4. And he said, I have ascended into heaven, but I am sitting on the earth. I might sit here at the right hand of the Father, but there on earth I still hunger, thirst. I'm considered a stranger. Beware you who strike. Beware you who hurt. Beware you who trample. And what have we done, they ask? We are the persecuted, not the persecutors. 
You are the persecutors, O wretched man. In the first place, you have divided the church. Mightier is the sword of the tongue than the sword of steel. Agar, Sarah's maid, was proud, and she was cursed by her mistress for her pride. That was discipline, not punishment. Subsequently, when she had gone away from her mistress, what did the angel say to her? Return to your mistress. Genesis 19, 4 through 9. O earthly soul, like a proud bondwoman, suppose you have suffered trouble for discipline's sake. So why do you complain? Return to your mistress. Hold fast the peace of the church. Wherever the gospel produces fruit, we read where the church is growing abroad. And men will dispute us and say to us, Betrayers! Betrayers of what? Christ gave us his church, and you don't believe. But will I believe you when you revile my parents? But you would have me believe you about the betrayers. First believe Christ. What is worth believing? Christ is God, and you are man. What should be believed first? Christ has spread his church wide over all the earth. So what does the gospel say? Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name. Luke twenty four forty seven, And where there is forgiveness of sins, there you will find the church. Why the church? Because it was said, To you I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you will lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And whatever you will bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Matthew sixteen nineteen. Where is this forgiveness of sin spread about? Throughout all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Oh, believe in Christ. He has this part in the middle. I suppose you say, I love God alone, just God the Father. I I don't love his body. You you know, let's be honest. We probably heard people say like, I love the church. I love God, but I'm not into the church and things like that. And Augustine does not go for that. He says, you are lying. If you love, you can't love him alone. You can't separate God from his church. You can't separate and say, well, I love the Father. I, you know, it'd be, can you say you love the Father, but don't love the Son? Uh, no, you have to love them both, right? He's like, in the same way, you can't say I love who, who God is, but I don't love his reflection on earth today, which is the church. I don't love the work. I don't love the believers. You can't say you love the head and not the arms, the legs, the lungs, the heart also. And it's so easy to go like, yeah, I agree with that. That's why I go to church and all that stuff. But if we really do agree with that, if we really do believe that, we need to keep that in mind every time we're having contention with other believers, because on a small level, even struggles with your wife or a brother, sister, or somebody at church or that person that, you know, you just find hard to love, that is another member of the body in a micro sense and in a true sense. And so if we really do love God, we have to love all of them. And when we really think about that, I think that command becomes so much harder. We have to lean into God to be able to fulfill it. And I think just remembering to ourselves, reminding ourselves, like, I can't love the head, but not love the body. Like, I got to love the whole thing. I can't say, like, I love the body, but I'm not a big fan of the ankle or the nose or something. No, we got to love all of it. It's difficult, but I think St. Augustine put it well. And honestly, he said it, you are lying if you say that you love the body and you love God, but you're not loving some of the members of that body. It has to come to the whole body, as difficult as that is. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by Corey Hobardier. If you like today's episode, check out our website at revivedthoughts.com. There you can find the transcript for today's episode and all of our episodes. Hey, everybody. We uh, always have a little something that we ask of you at the end. You guys are amazing at sharing and telling others and doing stuff. And we love interacting and engaging with you guys. If this episode were... Just going to ask if you've enjoyed Revive Thoughts, if you've enjoyed Revive Devos, you enjoy what we're doing here, we would love and be thrilled if you could leave us a five stars on Apple Podcasts. We have uh, gotten, uh, you know, just a little behind the baseball here. We're, we're pretty close to 100 five stars on Apple Podcast reviews. And 
I don't want to sound vain, but it does help with algorithms and different things going on. If we can get over that number, it helps tell people that this is a show that will be worth something to them. So if you think it's something worth to you, maybe throw us five stars. We can throw a little wit- written word review. It does help a lot. All of that will just continue to help other people find us, which we would be very appreciative of. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts. This episode is brought to you by the Worth Your Time podcast, where you'll hear from Christian female entrepreneurs, politicians, ministry leaders, authors, athletes, CEOs, and more. I'm Erica Anderson, mom of two, writer, and host and creator of Worth Your Time. I created this podcast because I wanted to hear from more women like me who were interested in the intersection of faith, politics, and culture. How do we navigate the choppy waters of partisan politics? How do we engage with culture honorably as Christian professionals? I know you don't have a lot of time, and that's why I make every second worth it on this show. You'll hear from women that aren't on every other Christian podcast, and we get really real because I don't know how to function any other way. Episodes drop every other Tuesday. Hope to see you there. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.